Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. All right, we are back for another episode of All About HR. Pretty excited about this one. I have one of my colleagues, Quentin Barrett, that's going to jump on with us. This is our first People Element guest since episode three, getting close to two years ago. So, you know, we uh, People Element's been a great sponsor. It's my employer, but you know, we don't go to the well too much. We're not trying to turn this into a big People Element commercial. But there, there's some great people at People Element. I want to make sure I'm, I, I'm talking to more. Now we're all remote. When I started at People Element, we were all in the office together. So Quentin's been one of my favorite people at People Element, and that's part of the reason he's on the show. But the other part of the reason he's on the show is he is one of the data analysts at People Element. And this episode is going to be fully dedicated to unpacking the data from People Element's 2023 engagement report. I want to welcome Quentin. I'm going to give him a quick uh, quick bio here. Quentin works as People Element Analyst. He has analyzed client-specific survey and interpreted results across several industries. In his role, Quentin has gained extensive experience working with HR and leadership to target areas of opportunity, such as turnover and low engagement. Quentin, welcome to All About HR. Thanks for having me. I had you on my initial list when we launched to get on and do a show, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how it's been almost two years. So I'm, I'm excited to have you at the mic here today. Yeah, I was getting offended. I was wondering when you're going to have me on. So I oh no. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you're one of the, you're one of the busiest guys at the company, or at least it feels like you're one of the biggest busiest guys at the company. Yeah. To tell the listeners a little bit more. I gave your bio, but like, like what's your day to day? Like, wh- why are you so busy? What are you busy doing here, people? Spend a lot of time looking at uh, employee experience data. I mean, I spend most of my time digging through engagement surveys, exit surveys, new hire surveys, well-being, pretty much any survey you can think of. I'm looking at the data, I- I'm picking it apart, and I'm trying to figure out what what are some of the key opportunities in, in each survey for our clients. I love that. And I think a lot of our listeners, I-, I think what you do is incredibly valuable. But one of the things we talk a lot about is... Employee engagement, understanding employee data is not always rocket science. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole with IOSyc, right? But it's not rocket science. But what it is, is it's understanding a lot of different nuances, right? A lot of people think they could probably do what you do and go, yeah, I can find out what's engagement. But off the cuff, like what are some of the things that just make, what's the difference between somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience looking at data versus you who have a lot of experience? Like, like what's that delta look like? Like, why is your job so important? I think uh, I think a lot of people who don't look at data from day to day kind of look at the bottom five items in a survey and say, hey, that's what I need to work on. And I talk about this all the time. If you're looking at exit data, the lowest scoring items in your survey, that might not be why people quit their job. You can be unhappy about something and it not make you quit your job. Same thing with an engagement survey. The lowest scoring items aren't necessarily what makes people disengaged. So I, I like to look at it like I'm trying to build a case. I, I always imagine that the CEO of a company walked into my office they say, Quentin, I need you to tell me the top three things that drive turnover in our organization right now. And I want to be able to lay out a solid case and say, hey, these are the top three things and this is why. And, and the lowest scoring items in the survey is, is typically just one piece of evidence. Then you have comments to look at. You have all sorts of different type of questions. So uh, I, I think that's the difference. It, it, I try to build the case and some others might just look at the lowest scoring items. I love that. It, I, I love that you kind of like back into it. Like you, you know where you want to get to, but like, what's the data going to tell you? Can you build a case or can you not build a case? Do you find a lot of people when they're analyzing data? And I, I meant to start you and I talking about music and bourbon. We'll get there, but okay. we're, we're in the weeds with work already. Yeah. But do you, do you find that clients get stuck trying to build a case and make the data fit the case they want instead of let the data drive them to the reality, whether it's the one they want or not? Is that pretty common? And is that easy to do? Well, I think it, there's a couple different ways that can go. You can have a client come in and they already think they have the answer, right? They already think they know what drives turnover or what drives disengagement or engagement. And then they're trying to build a case around that. And that's just not the way to go. You got to let the data speak for itself. So I want to make it clear that I don't go in there with with any 
idea already made up as to what drives turnover to what drives engagement. I look at the data and I, and I see what the case is, right? And then I, then I try to build it from there. And uh, I think it is a, a sort of a, a pitfall that people that people end up falling into is they they sort of go into it thinking they already know what the issues are. Well, that's that's a good teaser for for what we're going to dive into. We'll intro that in a second. But Quentin, I got to ask uh, you and I, uh, you and I both like uh, like bourbon. We like uh, whiskey. We like tasting responsibly, of course. Yep. Have you had anything good lately? You know, I, you know this, but I've been stuck on uh, Michter's uh, American whiskey for a long time. Michter's unblended American whiskey is it's. It's been about a year, and that's kind of like that's the one I go to. I, I've almost stopped trying others because I like it so much. Oh wow! You, you, you've you've settled in. You're like this. This is my go-to. This is what I like. This is what I'm doing. If I drink daily, that would be my daily drinker. I still like to go out and try other things, but it, it's just uh, it's just a solid choice. It really is. Yeah. So the uh, unsolicited Michter's commercial here on uh, All About HR. I keep a bottle of that on my shelf at all times since you've introduced it to me. Where were we? Uh, what, what, what restaurant in Denver were we at where we tried that for the first time? I th- I th- it had to be Bull and Bush, right? Yeah, it was Bull and Bush. That's right. Yeah. All right. So that's another commercial Bull and Bush. You're ever in Denver. That place has an awesome whiskey list, great beer list, and uh, some of the best queso you might find in Denver. Right, Quentin? Good queso. I was I wasn't gonna let you uh, uh, miss on the queso there. Yeah, good queso with chorizo in it. Love it. Yeah, and I mean that's a pretty high bar, right? I'm sure anyone listening, you've got queso at a hundred places in your town. But if you're ever in Denver, Bull and Bush, pretty central. Check it out. I'm a queso guy. Quentin's a queso guy. His resume includes growing up in Texas, so he knows his way around. You know, some Tex-Mex, some uh, s- some cheese and spices. One of the best at Bull and Bush. Cool. Thanks for letting me uh, wax poetic about some uh, queso. Uh, we need to get back there and check that out again soon here. For sure. All right. So the people element annual engagement report. Give me a primer about what's in it, what it is, and what you know what we're going to be talking about today. Well, you just said it, it's data that comes from the annual engagement trends report that we that we make each year. And the report we're talking about is made up of all people element clients that ran an engagement survey throughout 2022. So we're talking about this is not like two or three clients. We're talking about more than 200 different organizations in a bunch of different industries, whether you're talking about healthcare, or transportation or manufacturing. Uh, and it's just the engagement trends that, that we've seen throughout across those clients in 2022. Just to follow up on on something you mentioned there, you know, I, when I'm having my business development conversations and I'm talking to different clients, and this isn't my area of expertise, why I'm asking you, but like I feel like a lot of the data, whether you're in manufacturing or government or technology or the global benchmark, do you find that there tends to be some parity between kind of the ups and downs of engagement, or is it really just all over the map? No, there's there's definitely. Uh drivers of engagement, things that are correlated with engagement that are that are very common across industries. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're driving a truck or whether you're an RN at a hospital, probably care about the way uh, senior leadership communicates with you. Right. Maybe you care about uh, growth and development, your future at the organization. There are certain things that are just drivers of engagement. They were drivers five years ago, and they're probably going to be drivers of engagement five years from now. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. So let's start at the very base here. How do we define engagement and what are some of the impacts of engagement, disengagement? And then we can get into kind of how it's measured as well. Yeah, the question of uh, what is the definition of engagement is actually kind of an interesting question. If you were to Google, Tom, if you were to Google uh, what is employee engagement right now, you're going to come back with about a thousand different answers. And really, they all might be pretty good definitions of engagement. Hmm. Uh, I'll I'll tell you kind of a a funny story. Before the pandemic, I used to travel a lot more and I would ask senior leadership. I would ask uh, CEOs and frontline employees, what do you think employee engagement is? I just thought it was an interesting question. And I always thought it was so funny that people sort of have an innate understanding of what engagement is. They all kind of know, even if they don't do this type of work, they all would come back with something like, you know what, I think it's just people who wake up in the morning and they want to come to work and they want to do a good job. Or I think it's right. people who they're not just coming to work for their paycheck. You know, they care about the outcomes. They care about the goals of the organization. I, I love asking that question because it, it just it comforts me to know that you kind of can spot engagement. You can spot an engaged employee mm-hmm. when you see them. But if you made me pick my favorite definition of engagement, I would say it's the emotional connection an employee feels towards the organization and its goals. That's what I think we're trying to tap into. That's what I think everybody's trying to tap into 
when they want to measure engagement, the emotional connection an employee feels towards the organization and its goals. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And I liked what you said before too, that everybody tends to have an idea about it and they're, and they're not wrong either. And that there's a lot of ways to look at it. And maybe we'll have to add that question to our uh, hot sauce. How do you define engagement? I want to, I want to kind of do that same poll you did and get a whole broad, broad library of answers of uh, what people think it is. I can tell you when, when you ask people, they tend to freeze up in the beginning and then you just press them a little bit and you say, Hey, Think of an employee that you know that's engaged. I know you know somebody that you know is engaged. How do you know they're engaged? And then they'll start telling you. They'll start. They'll almost. They'll almost tell you exactly how to measure engagement if you press them a little bit. I I agree, and I feel like that's one of the areas that makes kind of this whole engagement place tough and less sticky. As people go, well, I know what I, I have a good definition of engagement. I feel like I know what engages my people. I don't need to do a survey. I don't need to understand the data. And that's really what I want to get to today is not in a salesy way, but like genuinely, like, why is it important to move past just understanding what engagement is and get to the impacts of engagement or disengagement and then how to measure it and what that data looks like. Mm -hmm. So disengagement, I've said that twice. What are the impacts of disengagement? And is disengagement more important to look at than engagement? I feel like everyone's looking at engagement, but tell me how disengagement filters in. I mean, I, I just think of them as, as the same thing. It just depends on whether you're a glass half full or a glass half empty type of person, right? I could say your organization is 80% engaged, or I could say it's 20% disengaged. But the but the impact of somebody being disengaged, somebody who, you know, they, they speak disparagingly about the organization. They uh, Maybe they don't plan on being there for very long. They're going to quit their job pretty soon. They kind of spread negativity if they don't quit their job. The impact is uh, turnover probably goes up. Accidents go up. Absenteeism goes up. Productivity goes down. Well-being goes down. These are, this is just what the research shows. This is not just people element. It, it, there's, there's tons right. of research around engagement. So I always call it a, a kind of a magic metric. If you can reliably measure engagement and then you can figure out a way to increase that engagement, you get all these positive outcomes that, that maybe you wouldn't even have thought of. It's like uh, having a sprinkler system, right? You can water yeah. all the flowers, make that garden pretty. Yeah, I'm going to use that from now on. It's a, it's a sprinkler system. I hope so. That just came to me. I don't know if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm riffing here. <laughs> so uh, people, like, how does people measure engagement? You know, when you say you're 60% engaged, how do you measure that? Like, what's that actually come from? Yeah, I think that's probably more important than the definition of engagement. So I gave you my favorite definition, which is not anywhere near as important as how do we measure engagement? And people element measures engagement with an engagement index that's embedded into the survey. And that, that index, I won't go over the actual items, but it, it looks at a few different things. It looks at discretionary effort, whether somebody, whether they're motivated to go above and beyond to really put forth that extra effort. It, it looks at uh, organizational pride. Are you proud to work for the organization? Advocacy, right? Are you an advocate for the organization? So Tom, if I were to bump into you at the grocery store and I would, you know, 10 years from now and I say, hey, you still work at people element? You say, yeah, I love it. You should, you should work there too. In this scenario, I'm no longer working there. I don't know why, but, but just for the, <laughs> for the sake of this. So you're an advocate for the organization. Feelings of accomplishment and then uh, even organizational commitment, whether you plan on being there or, or, or do you plan on quitting sometime soon? So, you know, a lot of people just take one of those things and they sort of equate it to engagement. They, th they think of somebody's intention to stay equals their engagement. And that's not necessarily the case. It's made up of a bunch of different things. So we have these, these items, this engagement index embedded in our survey. We measure it consistently across all of our clients the same way so that we, we can compare to other clients. And uh, it, it's, it's a really important metric to look at because, like I said, if you can figure out a way to increase that score, you will see those positive outcomes that we talked about. I love this. I mean, this is the world I live in, and this is already beneficial to me. Like, I, I really... I like what I'm hearing here. Let's start looking at some of the data now that we've got kind of a base and a groundwork here. What percent of the workforce is engaged, you know, from, from the benchmark? Let's start with there. Like how, like what is engagement like period? You know, I, I think uh, uh, different, different vendors might measure engagement in different ways. But if we look at engagement with the, with the people element engagement index in 2022, across all those organizations that we talked about, we saw the, the global engagement benchmark be 58%. 58% of their employee population was engaged based on uh, our measurement of engagement. 
And and if I can go down a little rabbit hole here, I think this is kind of interesting because yeah, I get this question all the time. People say, "What what is what did it look like during the pandemic?" And it it, it was a wild ride. Uh, back in 2019, before the pandemic, engagement was 56 percent, 56 percent engaged. 2020 hit, and that's the that's year one of the pandemic. 2020 hit, and and this is a question for you, Tom. What would you think would happen when a when a global pandemic hits? What do you think would happen to engagement? I mean, I know what I did think when it happened. I was like, oh, man, that's falling off a cliff. Yeah, you would think that, right? You would think it's just going to nosedive. And I mean, this is new for everybody. Nobody had been been uh, part of a pandemic like that. And engagement spiked. It went up across all of our clients. It went up to 61% engagement for 2020, which was bizarre to me. And I was still traveling a lot at the time. And I would, I would go and I would ask leadership teams and frontline employees and all these people, why, why is this happening? Why do you think engagement getting better? And they would tell me things like, uh, we have to, we had to band together. We have to take care of each other. We got to beat this thing. It was, it was kind of a, it was a silver lining uh, a little bit. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like that's a, it's a good thing that we had a pandemic yeah, right. but from an engagement standpoint. It was really interesting that it went up. Then year two, 2021, it dropped to 58% engaged. I think just fatigue started setting in a little bit. And then in 2022, uh, it stayed that way, 58% engagement, but it, it still hasn't dropped back to what it was in 2019, which, which I think is uh, interesting. And I think it's interesting too, just being out in the HR Twitter sphere and just on social, you would think the world is collapsing in the workplace with the back to work and the, uh, you know, the possible recession and layoffs and all the conversations negative, but that's a pretty positive number you, you gave. 58% is not a bad engagement score, and it's still higher than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we can, we'll probably get into a little bit of this later, but uh, I think some of the some of the workforce trends that we see that, that are kind of a struggle for different organizations, there, there, is a, there is a silver lining to it, right? Everybody suddenly, suddenly people want to, they want flexible work, right? And they want to be able to work remote, things that we didn't have to deal with as much before. But they also want meaning. They want to find more meaning in their work than they did before. And I think that is, if I had to guess, that's part of the reason why engagement is still a little bit higher than it was in 2019, is people came out, out on the other side of all this craziness. And they said, listen, I don't know that I'm happy with just coming to work for a paycheck. I, I want meaning in my work. I want work-life balance. I want my my leadership team to care about me. Uh, and I think that has a positive impact on engagement, that mindset. I never thought of it that way. I love that. I love talking to analysts. It's like, I'm going to do an all analyst podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. You know, uh, let's go another layer deeper. What what else are you seeing, you know, at a high, you know, a higher level before we get into drivers? But what else were you seeing from our engagement report uh, that, that stuck out or that might be good to share as far as a high level, kind of some high level numbers about engagement? Well, I guess uh, one of the things is, is kind of the way it trended in throughout 2022. That's, that's something that kind of stuck out to me. Um, like I said, in 2021, we were at 58% engaged. So everybody, me and my colleagues and my supervisor was really interested in what's it going to look like in 2022. And uh, we, we tracked it quarter by quarter. And one of the, one of the Q1, we were at like 60% engagement. And we were thinking, oh, man, we're about to spike back up again. Hey, right. Things are getting a little bit back to normal, quotation marks. And we're about to get uh, we're, we're about to see better engagement. Q2, it was in about 59 percent engagement. Q3, 54. Q4, 56. So I started evened out uh, around 58 percent engagement, the same exact thing it, uh, engagement score it was back in 2021, which I thought that was interesting that that uh, it looked like we were going to have some some really strong engagement at the beginning of the year. But it, it didn't end up any better than the last year. So should I do my engagement survey in Q1 and not Q3? Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you can take uh, one year and make that decision. I'll, I always tell people, I don't care when you do your engagement survey, just do it that same time consistently each year, right? I, I actually have an, an organization that I work with, and they, they plan their engagement survey kind of right before like an employee appreciation week. And, uh, you know, you, you might look at that on the outside and say, wait a minute, they're doing that because they know their scores are going to be better. But who cares, right? As long as they're doing it that same time each and every year and they're doing it consistently, they're still getting a good, reliable measurement of engagement. Yeah, so uh, I think it's just more important to be uh, consistent consistent with when you do it. Awesome. What are some of the trends? Let's uh, now, now we're in it. What are some of the trends that you saw coming out of the, uh, f the data from 2022? 
So, you know, stop me if I'm if I'm going on too much here, because there's some uh, I, I can tell you some of the trends that we saw in our data, but we also saw another research. One thing we saw was uh, a shifting of expectations. And I'll be a little more specific. We saw that we, we see that most people get some sort of sense of purpose out of their work. But but, uh, you know, post pandemic and I, I use that term uh you know, lightly there. They, like I said before, they, they seem to want more. They want more of a purpose. And I think that's good. And I think that's helping us with engagement. Uh, they want a connection to their organization and their work. And the challenge that we're seeing some in, in employees uh, with some of these employees is they now want less work, right? They're really focused on work-life balance. Yep. They're really focused on facets of well-being. This is, this is the shift in expectations that I'm talking about. They're, they're focused on that so much that we're seeing that a lot of them are saying, Hey, we would. I would take. I would even take a lower rate wage if, if I could find that balance. So shifting expectations is one of the trends that we see, and I don't think anybody listening would would disagree. I think everybody's kind of dealing with that. Yeah, I think that that sounds right. Another thing, and this is kind of overlapping with it, but uh, flexible work has become a huge deal, more so than it was in the past. A lot of employees got to work from home the fir- for the first time ever, and uh, you know, big surprise, they liked it. They liked working from home. So you got workers with uh, full schedule flexibility and they're reporting, hey, we, we have better productivity. I have more ability to focus. They're, they're reporting all these positive outcomes that are associated with flexible or remote or hybrid work. You know, I don't doubt the positive aspects that employees are reporting, um, but I do know that they're scared of having it taken away. Right. You can kind of see it in the data. I think they're they're not going to say too much bad about it because they're like, I really like this and I want to I want to. Make sure I get to keep this, this flexibility. Having said that, I also believe that organizations can create policies that support and guide a flexible workplace. And you and I, Tom, we can, we can, uh, we, we could probably agree on that because People Element did a pretty good job. Like right when the pandemic hit, they did a great uh, job. Yeah, our leadership kind of saw right away, like week two, they were like, you know what, we need to start having weekly huddles and coffee breaks and this and that. And, and I'm a genius. And I was thinking, why? This is going to be done in a month, right? <laughs> uh, and, and then you see two years later, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I have certain uh, certain organizations that, that I've uh, worked with, you know, two years into the pandemic, they're like, should we start? Should we start having like some sort of coffee breaks, maybe like on teams or, you know, they're starting to look at it now. So there, there are policies uh, that we can create to, to kind of... Uh, make it a win-win for employees and the organizations, I think. Yeah. I mean, looking at that too, I mean, just for me personally, a one person survey here, something you said really, it's stuck in my head now and it probably will be there forever. Is that I, when I joined people, it was all in the office, you know, there was a little bit of flexibility on a Friday afternoon, I think, but it was pretty much in the office most of the time. And then, and that's how everyone was set. And then boom, the culture went to like fully remote. But now, I mean, I definitely miss like, popping by your office and be like, Hey, you want to go to Bullen Bush or Hey, who's, who's going for lunch today? I really miss that interaction. I miss being able to go and just ask questions face to face with team members. But at the same time, I like working at home. And I think the biggest fear is that I would prefer to go back to a little more of a hybrid environment, but I'm scared to like introduce anything that starts taking away that fully remote that we've gotten used to. So I think that anx- that point you make about that anxiety of like having something taking away is almost stronger than whether they like working fully remote or hybrid or any of that anyways. Because I, I think that was the best way to talk about how I feel. And I didn't even know that's how I felt until you said it. Yeah. And I want to be clear, I, I'm not discounting their feedback when they say, hey, I, I, I can focus and I feel productive. But I also read a bunch of comments and I read a bunch of qualitative data. And I, I know that right now we're, they're kind of on the fence around like, I love remote work. I love having this flexibility, but I don't want to lose that connectiveness. I don't want to lose that collaboration that I have with my with my coworkers. And I see a bunch of comments now of employees saying, maybe we should have one day a week where we all go into the office or maybe we should do that. They, they really don't want to lose that. And, and I think people, humans, don't know how much they miss being connected to other humans until they're not. And then they're having to deal with it. So they're learning and each individual is learning along the way as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I can't disagree. All right. So, you know, the, uh, the return to office, the flexibility, solid trend. Um, and I think there's some really good insights there. What else are you seeing in there? Uh, we're starting to see that uh, stress and burnout started reaching levels that, that we saw, during the height of the pandemic. And you think it wouldn't be like that, right? You think people's stress and their burnout and their well-being, we'd be getting a little better. 
But no, in, in, towards the end of 2022, it was exactly what we saw during the height of the pandemic. You know, burnout leads to decreased morale. Burnout leads to lower engagement, more turnover. I, I've alluded to this a couple times already, but I just think it's important to remember that for many people, it wasn't like there was a concrete end to the pandemic. It wasn't like, all right, 2022, yeah. the pandemic's over. Great there are a lot of people that they're still dealing with the after effects of the pandemic and they're still dealing with it right now. And I'll, I'll just use that to jump into the to the next trend. When I say after effects, I'm talking about things like economic uncertainty. We're all dealing with that right now. Whether you're talking about growing inflation rates, general cost of living, world politics, without getting into too much detail, that, that all contributes to economic uncertainty. And uh, yeah, that's why it seems a bit disingenuous to say things are back to normal because they're, they're not quite. Yeah, what is normal, right? Yeah, we, we we're we're gonna have to throw in the cliche here and say we're we're working toward the new normal. I was trying to avoid it, but but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna throw it in. I, I, sorry, I pushed I pushed you there, Courtney. <laughs> Are there any other trends? Because um, we're gonna take a break in a second, and when we come back from that break, I want to talk about the drivers of engagement and some things that you can do to push back on those drivers of engagement uh, that we found. That's awesome, Quentin. Appreciate those insights to the trends. Definitely, you know, that burnout piece, I think, is is really pointed. And I feel like burnout's one of those things that's really tough because I don't think a lot of people realize they're burnt out until they're really burnt out. And if the data can show that, you can capture that before they hit that tipping point when they're already actively disengaged and they're just not present. I think finding that earlier and, and understanding that that is a... I don't want to say a baseline, but that is prevalent in today's workforce is, is exceptionally important. Yeah, agreed. All right. This has been great. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to drive into uh, the drivers of engagement and how to take action with some. I'm ready. We'll be right back. All right, Quentin, it is time for the HR hot sauce questions. Are you ready? What is the best job you have ever had? college, I used to clean uh, doctor's offices and lawyer's offices for extra money. So I would just go in and clean at night. Nobody breathing down my throat. Just listen to music. It was, a, it was a fun job. That's a new first for the hot sauce. I love it. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Perception is reality. Just because uh, the type of work we do, uh, I look at perception data all day. I know that perception is not reality. I, I understand the phrase. I understand why people use it, but it does kind of bother me in terms of my work. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? I would prefer not to work on either. I guess uh, I guess if I'm going to work, it, it should be a rainy day. Best useless skill? This is a weird one. I, I can twirl a stick really well. And let, let me explain. That's, that's strange, I know. But I grew up in the country, and I always carried a little walking stick with me. So for, for some reason, I'm really good at twirling a stick around like a like a gymnast girl, or, or I prefer to say like a ninja, but I, I can twirl a stick. <laughs> like one of the baton twirlers? Yeah, kind of like that. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? If we're talking about hot sauce, then I say hot. I love spicy food, but I don't want anything that like ruin my day, so, so I'll, I'll stick with hot. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? Uh, I like to ask, what would your current coworkers say is your biggest area of opportunity? Sometimes you'll still get like a humble brag, like, you know, I work too hard, or I give all my, my colleagues credit, but it still makes them take a step back and think like, what do my coworkers think of me? So that's my favorite. Good question. What is your favorite song to bring you out of a funk? Dixieland Delight by Alabama. All right. Great song. We'll add it to the list. We're done with the HR hot sauce. Let's get back to the show. And we are back. Great hot sauce with Quentin. We've been talking about the data from People Elements Global Engagement Report that uh, just dropped in Q1. We're talking about the state of engagement, some of the trends we're seeing, but now we're going to focus a little bit more on what's driving engagement. So Quentin, what are some of the drivers of engagement that you saw in the data from 2022? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, first, I, I want to kind of explain how we how we determine what a driver of engagement is. So you know, we, we talked about that six question engagement index or, or the engagement index where we look at like commitment to the organization and advocacy and things like that. So what we do is we take that index and we run a correlation against every other item in the survey. So let's say you have a you have an engagement survey that has, I don't know, 40 items in it. You take that engagement index, you run a correlation against every item. And what we're looking for is we're looking for items that have a positive correlation with engagement. And that means that this is the relationship. In general, if these items go up in score, engagement is likely to go up in score. 
If these items go down in score, engagement is likely to go down in score. That's the relationship. So these are not the lowest scoring items in the survey. You know, a lot of the times you already know what the lowest scoring items are. Instead, these are the lowest scoring with the highest impact on engagement. So what we call key drivers of engagement, you can think of it as uh, these are the areas that are going to give you the biggest bang for your buck when, when you want to work on increasing engagement. Now, each organization can have different drivers. You're going to have drivers specific to your organization, and our platform will show you in real time what your drivers of engagement are. But what we're about to talk about are what were the drivers of engagement across all of the organizations we worked with that did engagement surveys in 2022? Well, just to stay on that before we get into the bigger. So drivers of engagement, I mean, that can vary by demographic within an organization too, right? Like that'll change per organization. But do you find that to be pretty common that the drivers of engagement do skew within an organization depending on different demographic views? They probably would, but but the platform shows you drivers of engagement at the org-wide level. And, and it does that for a reason. You wouldn't necessarily want to look and see what drivers of engagement are for every little demographic, because then you would have people filtering in on like a certain department and people with less than one year tenure and only millennials. And then it's like, it, is the correlation really strong enough to even talk about at that point? Right. Do you even have enough data to really do that? That's why you, you kind of want to look at and, and see what the key drivers are engagement for your for your overall organization. Yeah, I think that kind of aligns with the, and I'm not going to get on the rabbit hole, but the benchmark conversation, the uh, the dreaded benchmark conversation as well, where people want it so granular that you're like, is it really that actionable of a benchmark? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that comes up a lot. I always say there's no sense in trying to be better than somebody else if you can't be better than yourself, right? So it's, uh, it's important to, I think benchmark data is really important to look at. But I would never use it as the, as the main thing that, that, that helps me action plan. Because it's possible that you're better than everybody else at something and it still be the thing you need to work on. Because maybe just for your organization, that's the thing that's important to your employees. And that's the thing that drives engagement. See, I love that. I'm glad I brought up benchmarking now. But we're going stick to a, stick a pin in that and get back to what we're talking about. Drivers of engagement. What did we see as the, you know, the key drivers? And then uh, we'll get into kind of you know, how we push back on them. Or I don't know, how do you want to do that? Do you want to talk about each one and what steps to take? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you present the data however you want. I'll kind of tell you the, the the themes that came up that drive engagement without without necessarily getting into each individual item. I'll give you the big themes that we saw that, that were drivers of engagement across all of our clients in 2022. Perfect. So we'll just list them out for you. One, growth and development, right? Growth and development. People feeling like there's opportunity, feeling like there's a path forward. That's a very common driver of engagement, and it, and it was across our clients in 2022. Two, company communication, communicating with your employees from, from a, various ways. Three, employee voice, having a voice, feeling like you, your ideas and suggestions matter. People care about what you have to say. Four was well-being, which is something that was uh, a, a little new, right? This is a product of our times, I think. Well-being is, is very important. We've already talked about it, and it was a driver of engagement. And then uh, last but not least, just in general, feeling valued as an employee, which is kind of a good measurement of engagement in and of itself. If you can if you can figure out a way to, to, to make employees feel valued and, you know, and, and I know that's vague, but engagement will get better. Right. So those are the those are the big things. Those are the big things that drive engagement uh, and, and likely they're drivers of engagement for people listening to this call as well. But you also can have your own individual something very specific that drives engagement for your organization. I yeah, I don't think anything was super out of what I guessed other than yeah, well-being. It's good to see that on the list. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is. Yep. We can break it down one by one. I don't know if we want to go through each yeah, and every yeah. one of them, but we can talk yeah, about I growth and development. It. Let's do it. Some of the items that are, that are correlated with engagement were things like, you know, employees feeling like they have the opportunity to be promoted, being provided with growth opportunities, or even just having somebody that uh, encourages their professional development. Those are those are specific items from growth and development that are correlated with engagement. Now, growth and development is one of those areas that I think a lot of organizations kind of throw their hands up and they say, well, you know what, we, we can't promote everybody. And, you know, Tom, we, we can't promote everybody, so I don't know what to do about that. And they have to take a step back and they have to remember this is employee perception data, right? You have to ask, why do they have low perceptions around growth and development? And they have to understand that Nobody said the answer is promoting everybody. Sometimes it's just making sure somebody's talking to them about their growth. 
or making sure that that they're promoting the training opportunities that they already have available to them. That's great. I love that distinction. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, something, I'll give you a concrete action item that I've seen people take. You have a department uh, of engineers and you say, well, they have really low perceptions around growth and development, but they're all engineers. They already have a manager. We don't know what to do with them. Well, some organizations might create a career path within that department that wasn't there before. They might say, okay, now we have engineers one, two, and three, and these engineers can now work their way through through these different these different job titles. Well, you've created a, a growth growth opportunities for them by doing that. That's something that's concrete that can help uh, increase perceptions of growth and development. Excellent. Um, it never hurts to also have one on one conversations with your manager creating that that strong connection with managers where they're sitting down annually with their employees if they have the bandwidth to do it and have a career conversation with them talk to them about what they want to do in their career where do they see themselves in five years how do they get there i, I don't want to be cynical but even if even if that person didn't progress in their career you still planted a seed in their head at that point to that like look there is opportunity if you can do the right things there is opportunity and that that impacts their engagement so those are just a couple of things uh, that, that I think uh, can help if somebody's really kind of struggling and working on increasing perceptions around growth and development. That last item you mentioned too just kind of speaks to the nuance of what we're talking about. That nothing you said sound like I bet there's a bunch of people listening going, "Yeah, of course we do that." But I think the act of sitting down to just talk about growth and development—that the meeting is let's have a growth and development conversation—is so much more impactful than just, oh, hey, at the end of this other thing, like, do you want to go somewhere? What do you want to do? You know, I think it's like that little bit of intention of sitting down, focusing specifically on growth and development is one of those areas where it can make a huge difference. And also one of those areas where a lot of companies will see lower scores and go, we're doing this. But the perception of the employee is that you're not doing it well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, a, a lot of this is the mistake a lot of organizations make is they have like, they say, yeah, we have performance appraisals every year. And we talk about that during our performance appraisal. Oh, it's a little piece of this other meeting that you're having, right? You're talking about yeah. their performance and all this other stuff. And then at the end, you say, you know, hey, you ever thought about management or, or something like that? It, I mean, ideally, you would have a, a conversation dedicated to, to their career and to, and to growth and development. That's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. And they're going to say, hmm, maybe, maybe there is a path forward for me. And, and, and I realize that not every organization can have their managers do that, depending on how they're set up. I promise you it, it, it has a big impact on employee perceptions if you can. I knew it. Awesome. Company communication. Talk about that. I bet a lot of ears perked up to that one. Yeah, especially what we're talking about when we say company communication. So when I first got this engagement trends report, I was kind of flipping through it. I'm not the one who made the report, right? Uh, but I look at employee data every day. I was flipping through the report and I read the key drivers of engagement and i didn't see senior leadership as one of the drivers of engagement and i said hey something's wrong here guys there's a there's a mistake i know for a fact the way people feel about senior leadership drives engagement i see it every day i see it in in, in everybody's data and then uh because I, I tend to jump the gun they said hey calm down quentin uh re read it a little closer here read the company communication driver of engagement then i read the actual items that were correlated with engagement and one of them was having sufficient communication from senior leadership. Another one was leadership communicating a clear vision for the future. So both fall under communication, company communication, but it, but it really comes right. from, from that senior leadership level of uh, leadership. So then I'm like, okay, now this is legit. Now, now I'll trust it. Also, uh, just being kept informed about matters that affect them. That was, that was correlated with engagement. So uh, some things you can do around that if you want to increase perceptions of company communication. One, you want to make sure you're ha you, de you deploy multiple delivery mediums. We're talking about not just email. Do you do town hall meetings? Do you do video messages, team chats, recorded messages, podcasts or something, right? I, I'm talking, to, we're on a podcast right now, but I have an organization that I work with. They actually have a podcast. It's a transportation organization and they have a podcast that their drivers can listen to. It's genius, right? I love it. They're yeah. driving, they're listening to a podcast and they're getting company information. I love it. Uh, and, and there's no way they're going to come back and say, yeah, they don't even try to communicate with us. No, they're doing all kinds of different things to communicate. So make sure you have uh, different delivery mediums. Also, you want to kind of weave in your, your vision and values and your day-to-day -day activities and your day-to-day -day communication. I'm seeing more than ever 
employees, they don't, they don't just want to know like uh, what they need to do for the day. They care about what the goals of the organization are, what the vision is, where the organization's headed in five years. And I think this is something that's been a long time coming, but I think a long time ago, I think a lot of leaders might've assumed they don't care about stuff like that. They don't care about those details. They very much care about those details. Now they want that information. That's part of the communication we should be, we should be getting across to them. Yeah. I've been talking to a lot of nonprofits lately for whatever reason, and it might be correlated, might not, it might just be coincidence, but I've talked to a lot of nonprofits and most of their workforce is driven by the passion for the work. But now a lot of these nonprofits are going, hey, if we're not running a full business and we're not doing all these other business motions of communicating our vision, where this nonprofit's going to be in three years, are we growing? Are we staying where we're at? That it starts whittling away at that passion. That key driver of engagement for the nonprofit is the passion and that they need to understand all these other pieces. And I think with you saying people want, you know, the data saying that, People are more engaged to, you know, they want that connection to their job. They want that. They want it to go for something. I I think that really resonates. And just the leaders communicating that, I think that piece connects to a lot of the other things you've been talking about today. Yeah. I mean, if if an organization like that were to run an engagement survey and they were to log into the people element platform, they would probably see one of their top key drivers of engagement would be leadership communicating a clear vision for the future. That's how it would show up. And then I would end up with an executive presentation presenting to those people. And I would be saying, listen, you, you've got to connect what they do to your vision, to your values, because they care about that. That's why they're doing this type of work, that they're passionate about it. And then if, yeah. if they did a good job of connecting, well, then they could have a, a positive impact on engagement. I also don't want to I don't want to pass up the chance to talk about tapping into your managers, your frontline managers. It's pretty normal for perceptions of immediate managers to be higher than perceptions of senior leadership. So you really, senior leadership really needs to make sure they're working on having a connection with frontline managers as well, because a lot of the times they're your mouth, right? They're they're the ones passing down information. You yeah. want to empower them. You want to make sure that they, they're they given the information so that they can answer questions. They can communicate HR policies or corporate information directly to employees. You don't want to create a culture where it's an us versus them thing and, and the managers are saying, yeah, this came down from senior leadership upstairs. You know, I don't have any control over this. You want to be on the same page, senior leadership and management. Feeling valued is the next, uh, I think, that you noted. Um, so we have feeling valued, employee voice, and well-being. I want to make sure we get to all these, but uh, dig in a little bit to feeling valued. Well, if you don't mind, let me go out of order a little bit. I want to say feeling valued to the end, and I'll, I'll tell you why here in a, here in a minute. Uh, yeah, perfect. Yeah. I, I love the assertiveness. Yeah. Roll. So let, let's talk about employee voice for a minute. What does employee voice mean? I think it, I think it's probably pretty self-explanatory, but the specific items are people feeling like they're encouraged to share their opinions and feedback, feeling like their ideas and suggestions are considered. Just having a voice. Now, if, if you want to, if you want to give your employees a voice, one really, really cool way to do that is run an annual engagement survey, right? <laughs> run it, run a survey. That that is really what it's for is so that you can give them a voice, you can get their feedback and you can act on that data. That That's really, really important. You also, I don't to- know, Quentin, our managers do a really good job. They do their one-on-ones every week. Like we don't, yeah, you know, we, we talk to them all. We don't need to do that annual engagement survey. Yeah. Those, those are the same people that, that they, they assume they know what, what's calling, causing people to be disengaged. Then they run their survey and they realize it's completely different than what they thought. And they also realize they have 70% disengagement and they got a long road ahead of them. So uh, thank, thank you for humoring me there. Yeah, it is uh, It is very important to, to give your employees a voice. People want to be heard. And you want to create a culture where people feel safe to voice their opinions, where they don't feel persecuted, they don't feel judged. A confidential engagement survey is a way to do that. If you run this survey and, and you make sure you explain to people why you're doing it, because you care about them, because you want to give them a voice and it's confidential so they can give their candid feedback, well, they're going to, their perceptions of having a voice are going to get better. Also, I'll go back to managers. I know I do that a lot, but you want to pr- promote a deeper one-on-one conversation between managers and direct reports. You'd be surprised how many organizations have have direct reports or just frontline employees who don't have one-on-one conversations with their manager almost ever, right? I see it in the comments sometimes. Yeah, I haven't had a one-on-one conversation with my manager in a year, right? If, if you're having those, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly one-on-one conversations with your manager, well, then you're giving the employees an opportunity to, to tell you things, 
to bring up things they're unsatisfied with, you're giving them a voice, right? So uh, pr promoting that deeper connection between managers and employees is, is really helpful for employee voice as well. Love it. Uh, you you said you were happy to see well-being on the list. So I'll talk about uh, I'll talk about the items that were specifically correlated with engagement. Uh, it was having the resources and support to manage their stress. That was correlated with engagement. Being supported and maintaining a work-life balance. Work-life balance is connected to engagement and having sufficient staff to handle the workload. So stress, workload, work-life balance, they, they all kind of equate to well-being, I would say. How do you how do you do that? How do you work on, on those things in, in, uh, in an environment like we have today, especially where people are remote? Right. You go home and sometimes it's hard to turn your computer off. Sometimes it's hard to understand when the end of the workday is. One thing you want to do is you want to make sure your managers are promoting healthy boundaries between work and home. You want to make sure they're leading by example. You want to make sure they're holding their employees accountable to knowing when when it's time to be off of work. I'm the worst person to talk about this. <laughs> are you? You, you? You'll get on teams and you'll see me on there in the middle of the night, but but my manager does a good job of, of trying to hold me accountable. You want to you want to train leaders, managers, and employees how to navigate mental health at work. You know there you can you can outsource this. There are people that can come in and, and train your people regarding mental health. But you also want to make sure that all the resources that you have are available to all employees and they're communicated really well. I've, I've worked with organizations that have like hotlines to call. They have uh, they have resources available, but they just they're not always doing a great job of promoting those. So th that's a little bit about well-being. It's really around workload and uh and, and and stress but i just want to give a shout out too to the well-being committee at people element we've got a pretty good when i saw it i was like all right this is cool you know we'll see where it goes but i mean they're constantly sharing fitness goals like yoga at your desk and it's consistent and i think the thing that i like most about it is it doesn't fall off that it's really now a part of kind of the communication and, and the culture at people element. And I think that's across the board for everything, but that do these things, but have staying power. Don't just commit to them for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It's the tenure that gave, I think the most power to the well-being committee at people element was the fact that like they didn't just drop it. Like it's still there. No, they are consistent with it for sure. They make me go on walks and stuff when we have little company get togethers <laughs> and they won't take no for an answer. So, uh, and, and I appreciate them for it. Good. I think I went skiing when you went for that walk. So, <laughs> <laughs> feeling valued. Why? Why did I save that one for last? The items. The items that were correlated with engagement around feeling valued are: I feel valued at work. Leadership values its employees. Right. If I would have started with that, I think uh, Tom, you, you might have said, "Well, that's not very actionable." I feel valued. Anything can make. What makes people feel valued? And you're right. Feeling valued is almost always a driver of engagement. I mentioned that earlier. It's such a common driver of engagement that I, I sort of think of it as a decent measurement of engagement in and of itself. It's an outcome. So I'll just point out that if you do a good job making sure employees feel like they have growth opportunities, if you do a good job communicating with them, you give them a voice, you support their well-being. Yeah. You see what I'm doing here? I'm kind of I'm kind of recapping all these other drivers together. of engagement. If you can if you can figure out a way to increase perceptions of all those, well then your employees are going to feel more valued. They're going to say, man, they, they really cared about communicating with me this year, or they really cared about my growth and development. My manager even sat down with me and talked about it with me. They feel more valued. It's an outcome of all those other things we, we've talked about. So where's more pay in this? Well, I don't want uh, I don't want employees coming for me. Is this going to be public? Are you putting this online somewhere? Uh, yeah, you're going to be on Apple, Spotify, Amazon. So, yeah, you, you know. Okay. Approach this appropriately. All right. Well, I want to remind everybody, my name's Chris Coberly. And uh, <laughs> no, pay, pay it, this, is, this is just a fact. Pay is not a typical driver of engagement, right? Pay is not, not one of the things that typically makes people have that emotional connection to the organization and its goals. Now, I want to be clear. Pay will drive turnover. Pay will make somebody quit their job, right? Right. If they feel like they're not paid fairly. And and honestly, giving somebody a pay raise and, and, and uh trying to trying to make sure you're at market value as long as you do a good job of communicating why you did it yeah that'll make people feel more valued for sure so it can have an impact on engagement but it's it's not common for for our compensation items to be correlated with engagement that's just that's just the way it is it is very common for perceptions of senior leadership and growth and development and feeling value to be correlated with engagement
Yeah, the one thing I hear is that I'm not paid enough for the work I do, and it's really about the resources, the job description, uh, it, all the other things that you've already talked about. So in a way, I guess it's still in there. Yeah, I'm not discounting uh, perceptions of, of pay. I mean, it's definitely something we should be working on if, if it's a, a uh, persistent issue. But it is interesting, though, when you read the comments, people sort of pair it with other things. They say, I need to be paid more, and there's no room for growth. I need to be paid more, and my manager is mean to me. You know, they always pair it with something else. And I sort of get the feeling that if we were if we were uh, hitting the mark on all those other areas there, well, then maybe pay wouldn't be as big of an issue to them. But that's just a thought. All right, Quentin, that was uh, that was a lot. You, you took us through defining engagement, what an engagement index is, why it's important, some of the big you know, data points that we found. This is a 22 page report that, that we've been kind of working off of on this podcast. And I'd love to get this to anybody. You can find links to it on the People Element website. And I'm happy to send this report out. I'm happy to send this report out to anybody that's listening to this podcast. DM me on Twitter, all about HR Pod, or at Tom's Engaging HR on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I'll make sure you get a copy of this. Quint, before we walk away, wrap this whole thing up. What did we see? And what's the most important takeaways uh, from 2022 engagement? You know, I think the, the big takeaways and, and the ammunition that we gave you were those key drivers of engagement, right? I, I won't read them all again, but company communication and growth and development, those things that we saw that drive engagement across all of our clients in 2022, those are big takeaways. But I, I want to leave you with this. It, it, th those are big takeaways because many of those drivers of engagement that we talked about, they're driving engagement for your organization as well right now. Whoever's listening to this podcast, they're likely driving engagement for your organization, but there are also drivers that are specific to your organization that you'll never be able to pinpoint. You won't know about if you don't take action, if you don't take the time to run an engagement survey, because maybe those specific drivers of engagement for your organization are maybe this compensation. Maybe you're one of the one out of 10 that perceptions of compensation drives engagement. Yeah. Maybe it's perceptions of your immediate managers, not, not a common driver of engagement, but maybe that's specific to your organization or there's some sort of cultural issues that are driving engagement where you work, but you can't fix those things if you don't know about them. So you run an engagement survey on a set cadence. You prioritize this. You prioritize uh, the process of collecting data, of taking action each year. And if you take it seriously, I promise it's going to be the, one of the most impactful things you do at your job because, because you're going to have all those positive outcomes that we've talked about related to engagement. That's what I want to say about it. <laughs> I love it. One of your favorite quotes. You got to give it to me on the way out here. You can't fix what you don't know. Yep. I was going to say perception is reality, but then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's what I don't like. <laughs> All right. Yes. You can't fix what you don't know. Run an engagement survey. There we go. Quentin, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy um, out there working with all of our clients. You and I need to go get a Michter's, a Michter's at Bull and Bush here sooner than later. Uh, really appreciate everything you do. And this has been really helpful and informative for me, even though I've read this report like 20 times. Still really awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. And everyone out there listening, don't be shy. If you want a copy of this, reach out to me. I'll get you a copy. Thank you for always listening to All About HR. Hope you learned something today. Be safe. Take care of your employees. And we'll see you back here at the mic next time. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Elements Employee Experience and Engagement Solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.